John chapter 12 is where we're at. If you want to flip to the word with me. Lord, as we come to the text, not necessarily the easiest theology, and perhaps one reason, God, is that it's a bit of an affront to our pride, um, many worldviews even, and so we pray that the word would be that sharp two-edged sword, divide between our soul and spirit, bone and marrow, and by the spirit be a discerner of the thoughts and intents of our heart, Lord. We pray, God, that if there's anyone in this uh, room today that's never placed their faith in you in a way that would save them from their sins uh, and surrender themselves to your lordship, we pray by your grace today you'd move in their life and that they would just believe in you unto righteousness. We pray that uh, would happen today for your fame and glory among the nations. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys want to stand with me? And we're going to read John 12, 37 through 50. But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. That the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. Because Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their heart in turn, so that I should heal them. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world, and whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the word, but to save the world. And he who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I've spoken will judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command that I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. There's a reoccurring theme happening as we go through the chapters of John. And that is the unbelief of the Jewish people during Jesus's ministry. It's made plain in the verses that we just read that we'll be walking through today that even their unbelief is not outside of the purposes of God. Uh, this section of John chapter 12, moving throughout the rest of the book of John, uh, is the end of Jesus' public ministry and moves towards Jesus uh, having some one-on-one -on -one time with his disciples uh, with his uh, with his own, and uh, all the way leading up to his betrayal, his arrest, the death on the cross, the resurrection, and some time after the resurrection. And so uh, there's some kind of finalization of and commentary by John and by Jesus 
on what's been going on in the hearts of the people in the previous 11, 12 chapters with all of the miracles, with all of the preaching of the kingdom of God from Jesus. And it says in verse 37 that although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. It's a very sad and sobering verse that people had eyewitness account of all the things that Jesus did and all the things that Jesus said. The end of the Gospel of John tells us that these things were written. Uh, and in fact, there were even so many more things that Jesus did that even all the books in the whole world can contain all the things that Jesus did. But, but these things, in the last 12 chapters, these things were written so that you might believe. That you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That means He's God, by the way. Uh, that you might, by believing in Him, have life in His name. And that's a purpose of John throughout the whole book. And here he just says in a very sad phrase uh, that even though he'd done all these signs in front of the people, uh, they did not believe in him. We're kind of reminded here in verse 37 of the quantity and the quality of Jesus's signs. And uh, like, I think it was nine o'clock this morning, I just went for a run, you know, just to get out and pray and and pop my earbud in and listened to all that we've studied so far in John. And as I'm running, I'm just thinking about oh, all that Jesus did. You know, John starting out the book, just talking about that Jesus is the word. Uh, he was uh, before the creation of the world. He created the world and, and that he is life and he is light. And John the Baptist came as the forerunner to the Messiah. And true prophecy of what Malachi had said, John the Baptist came and John the Baptist said, I'm not the Messiah, but, but he's the Messiah. And I'm not even worthy to unstrap his sandals. And, and that even in Jesus's first ministry, he turned water into wine. Uh, Jesus in chapter two, he uh, turned over the tables in the temple, showing that zeal for the house of the Lord had eaten him up. John, or, uh, in John chapter 3, Nicodemus came and, and said, you know, we know that you're more than a teacher. He said, you know, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus talks about how he needs to be born again. You go on throughout the gospel of John and you've got uh, noblemen's uh, sons being healed from a distance. So that when they found out that son was healed, it was at the same hour that Jesus had spoken that there should be a healing of that son. We've got Jesus multiplying fishes and loaves for some 15 to 20,000 people, feeding them out there in the wilderness. That he walked upon the water and he calmed the storm and he miraculously quantum leaped the boat from the middle of the sea over to Capernaum where they were headed. Uh, you know, we see him... Uh, healing in John chapter 5, the uh, lame man at the pool of Bethesda by the sheep gate, miraculous healing of a guy that had been ill. We see by John chapter uh, 9, him healing a blind man who had been blind from birth. Incredible testimony of these miraculous healings and kind of in between them, you've got Jesus saying these deep sayings of he's the bread of life. You know, if you eat of him, you, you won't be hungry anymore, that he's the light of the world. Anyone that believes in him will have the light of life and not walk in darkness anymore. Jesus preaching the gospel everywhere that he went in, in another gospel, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And all that Jesus did up through John chapter 12, people by the multitudes and by the thousands witness this 
And after all that they had seen, uh, it says in verse 37, they did not believe in him. They had stopped ears and they covered their eyes and they refused to believe. And uh, I was just thinking about even on our phones nowadays, there's these emojis, you know, that, that there's the little monkey, you know, that he'll cover his eyes or he'll cover his ears, you know, and it's kind of that see no evil, hear no evil. And it's like, man, sometimes we're see no righteousness, hear no righteousness, you know. And uh, just, uh, I think it was this morning, my son Titus is like, hey, dad, do that thing where you kind of put your upper lip up and you, you pretend like you don't see what's going on around you. Like, you know, and I was like, as I was doing it and kind of being silly, I was like, like you're trying to avoid whatever's in front of you. And I was like, man, it's just exactly the, the pursed lip that the Jews had when Jesus was doing stuff. They're like, I don't want to see it because then it means I'm going to have to surrender to the truth that's in front of me. But something we see in this chapter and in this section that that's important and is doctrinal and is theological is that unbelief is not due to intellectual deficiency nor to lack of knowledge. For one, unbelief is the response of a heart in rebellion against God. You can have everything taught to you, everything laid out to you in clear and concise form. You can witness the miracles of God himself multiplying loaves and fishes by the tens of thousands out of five and two. And still your heart is hard because you do not want to bow the knee of your heart before the truth of who Jesus is. Mark Deaver said that unbelief never involves the mind alone. It is a spiritual state. So ask yourself, many of you have gone through the gospel of John with us. Ask yourself, having come to the end of Jesus's public ministry, are you a believer? Are you a believer? If not, it shouldn't be so surprising that these didn't believe because you're in the same place. But it's our prayer that having heard these things and even being just pled with today by the Holy Spirit, that you might see that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and you would believe that. And by believing, you would have life in his name. Jesus said just before our text today, when we wrapped up the triumphal entry last week, he said, walk while you have the light before the darkness overtakes you. And here today, here we are by the grace of God. This is a moment of grace. Who knows how many more times like this we will have where the word of God can just be spoken over you and the Holy Spirit can bring to bear the word of God upon your heart and you can be asked, do you believe the word of the Lord? Will you believe the word of the Lord? The question is asked though, does unbelief of men and women take God by surprise? You know, in all of this was Jesus kind of waving his southern fan and saying, well, I never, you know, I, I did all of this for you and you just, you know. And I, the NIV states it this way, 
even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. Okay, so New King James Version is what I teach out of, so you might want to grab that Bible um, if you're coming here regularly. Uh, It says that they did not believe in him, but I like that NIV where it says that they would not believe. Think of the stubbornness. It's one thing to just not believe, like, oh, I, just, I didn't know. You know? And then there's another that's like, not going to do it. See the difference? They would not believe. Even though they saw it. Look back at John chapter 11, verse 47. Even the high priest saw that Jesus had healed the, the blind man and went through a whole investigation over it. And they said... At the end, what are, what are we going to do? This man works many signs. And from the beginnings of signs that he worked from Cana all the way to this one, they knew he'd worked many signs. But it never took God off guard. It wasn't a surprise. In fact, it was prophesied. And that moves us on in our, forward in our text in verse 38. This was all, so they did not believe, they would not believe. Verse 38, that the word of Isaiah, the prophet, might be fulfilled, which he spoke. Lord, who's believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? You know, some would say in a critical form that because the time of Jesus was drawing, you know, to his, in his 30s and it seemed to be coming to a close and there wasn't quite the reception that the only option that Jesus had was to maybe like, make Jesus into some kind of a martyr to where people kill him and see, you know, they were just, it just took God off guard and he had no idea and it just ended in Jesus's death. But the prophets tell us it was part of God's plan all along. It was part of the purposes of God all along. And so this is where we're going to see something that's very interesting in Christian theology. And it's that God's purposes are not frustrated by the hardness of sinful man. God's purposes are not frustrated by the opposition of cruel and calloused responses of individuals. They don't shake up God's purposes. He's completely sovereign all the time. He's completely in control. And even though these people saw all the signs of Jesus and they still did not and would not believe, that's just that it would be fulfilled what Isaiah the prophet had to say. And so we come into this great paradox in the Bible of God having sovereign knowledge and foreordination and foreknowledge, and yet men making very real decisions that work in that. Sometimes even men's prayers and crying to God can change that in the scripture. It's interesting. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 23. Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost. Too many of the people that we saw not believing today in John, here he's preaching to them on the day of Pentecost. And he's talking about Jesus saying, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and crucified and put to death. So on one hand, we have the sovereign control of God over the universe. Nothing is outside of his 
plans and his purposes. Jesus was delivered up to trial and to scourging and to death by a determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. God's sovereignty, God's foreknowledge. At the same time, these dudes did it on their own. They went and took him with sinful, lawless hands, crucified him, and put him to death. And as John quotes from prophecy in this Isaiah passage, he's quoting from Isaiah 53.1, he makes this clear. Who's believed our report? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? It's been revealed to everyone in Israel. They all know what's going on and what Jesus has done. It takes us to John chapter 10 to verses 9 through 21. And uh, today we're going to just be, we're going to be covering some ground and some verses. And I want you guys to be thinking about these things and pondering these things. Romans 10, 9 speaks this wonderful truth that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. All right. This is a word for you today. If you're here and you're not saved, Wonderful news is today you can be saved. Believe in your heart and what you're hearing in the Lord Jesus. Confess with your mouth, Lord, I believe that you are true and you're right and your promises are yes and amen. It goes on to say, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness. God will make you right. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You're going to want to remember that verse later for what we see how some of the Jews believe later. Okay. All right, verse 11 of Romans 10 says, for the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord overall is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him whom they've not believed? Now shall they believe in him in whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. And so there's this great stair step or ladder that just kind of says, well, oh, right, sweet. If I believe in the name of the Lord and call on his name, I'll be saved. And then he just says, yeah, but there's so many people out there that how are they supposed to believe on Jesus if they've never heard about Jesus? It's a good question. And then there's kind of another step. And how are they supposed to hear on him if no one's ever preaching about him? I guess we need to tell people about him. And how are you supposed to tell people about him if you're never sent out to go do it? I guess we need to be sending people out to go do it. Okay, so there's like this good golden ladder, I think it was called, of evangelism. And then it just goes on to say, and how beautiful are those awesome feet that are out pounding pavement, telling people about Jesus everywhere they go. Verse 16 says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, and then he quotes the same verse that John does here. Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. Their sound has gone out to the whole earth and their words to the ends of the earth. But I say, did not Israel know? For Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. But to Israel, he says, all day long, I've stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. 
Okay, so there's a lot there, guys, I know. And, and by the way, I hate to tell you, there's a lot more, okay? Because we are hunkering down and we are going to learn some deep truths about the consequences for unbelief, okay? Now, part of the sovereignty of God in all of this is that as we're preaching to people and they're not believing, and as Jesus was preaching and they are not believing, what we read in Romans says that even though they're not going to believe and they, there will be wrath upon them because of that, there's a purpose of God that's working behind that to reach the rest of the world. And because of their rejection of Jesus, that gospel is going to go out even farther than it ever would have, all the way to, would you believe it, Oregon? Okay? All right? So God is sovereign over that. Um, F.F. Bruce said, the arm of the Lord had indeed been revealed in all these signs of Jesus, but effectively only to those who had eyes to see. So chapter uh, 12 of John, verse 38, said that they did not believe or they would not believe. Just kind of that stubborn, not gonna do it. I don't believe it. I won't believe it. Okay. And then verse 39 says, I was thinking of uh, back in the day, Friday night, TGIF house. Okay. Stephanie, I remember she said once, uh, I would if I could, but I can't. So I won't. All right. And these Jews have this interesting, you guys are like, first of all, full house, what Stephanie? Okay. I know her, uh, you know, but there's this interesting thing that what if I could, oh, you could. All right. Uh, but I can't No, you can, but I won't. That's it. All right. You won't. All right. And so because they would not, now we move to verse 39. Therefore, they could not. Okay. Therefore, they could not believe because Isaiah said again. Okay. So verse 39 starts with the word therefore. Okay. It's an important connecting and it speaks of for this reason or because of this, because they would not now they cannot. They would not. And in turn, the day dawned that they could not. To try to get rid of the purpose clause in this verse is entirely unwarranted, Alistair Begg said. Okay? Now they come to a place where they are unable to believe. All right? Now they come to a place where in the Greek it means they are powerless to believe. This is tough stuff. I don't, maybe you're not getting it. Like it, it's come to a place of a hardening of their heart where they were seeing the stuff that Jesus was doing and hearing the words that the son of God was saying, and they would not. And their heart got harder and their heart got more harder or more hard, probably more hard. Their heart got more hard and more hard. And it's just like a layer of those delicious biscuits that you buy from Pillsbury that they just are stacked in delicious layers with buttery goodness. Won't do it, won't do it, won't do it, won't do it. uh, And then it's got that crust on top. Can't do it. Okay. I'm just hungry this morning. I'm sorry. Mm. Those things are good though. I'm not going to lie to you. Okay. But we begin to balk at that. Oh, I get that would not, or I, you know, would not, that's fine. But could not, that doesn't seem right. It's right. 
and it's just. And it's the sovereignty of God that gives people what they want. You don't want it, then you don't get it. Okay? Here we have this could not, where people are, eventually they're powerless to believe. Leon Morris, a great preacher and writer, says, any attempt to change the clear meaning of the text in order to bring it into harmony with one's own particular theology is reprehensible. In other words, anyone who doesn't like this idea of God because it doesn't fit in your view of God, so you disregard this passage, is in need of bowing their heart before the word. Isn't it true that Jesus preached the gospel time and time and time again, and Jesus was gracious, and Jesus was benevolent, and Jesus is long-suffering, and he preached, and he worked, and he showed, and he did the sign, and he did the wonder, and they wouldn't believe, and they wouldn't believe, and they wouldn't believe. And Jesus spoke wonderful truths and hope into their life. I'm the light of the world. He who believes in me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. I'm light. I'm life. If you believe in me, out of your heart will flow torrents of living water. He spoke hope. He spoke into people's heart everything that they ever did. He he said, I know what you've done. And then they ran off and they said to their town, he told me everything I ever did. And then the whole town comes out and they hear it and they said, you told us he said everything that he ever did and we believed you then, but now we believe not because we heard what you said, but because we saw it with our own eyes and they received it, those Samaritans in John chapter four. Here, it's people that are in Jerusalem for Passover and they've just hardened their heart to a point where no matter what Jesus says or does, I don't want him. Look at what Romans chapter 1, how it says in verses 18 through 32. By the way, you can flip on the TV, the news, and what you see in front of you is Romans chapter 1. Okay, we're going to read it. Tell me how it's not speaking of context of today too, as well as back then. But I want you to do something right now. I want you, as we're reading it, I want you to, you can make a little note or something or make a little shade or, or a, little, uh, a little M for man what man has done, and then maybe a little G for what God in turn did. Okay, I'll show you what I mean. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men. So just think about that for a second. Think of all the unrighteousness and ungodliness that's going on in our society and maybe even in your own heart. And know that the wrath of God is revealed against that. Okay? These men suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So maybe there, I highlighted it in blue in my notes. See it right there? Okay, so for me it's blue, and it just shows what do do men do in their fallen state? They suppress truth. Truth that comes from the word of God, okay? They suppress, I don't want to hear it, 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 push it away. Okay, so the wrath of God is upon men who suppress truth, okay? Verse 19, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God's shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. That means you can walk outside, you see creation, you see the stars in the sky, you see the constellation, you see the intricacy of biology and how things fit together and how they work, and you go, this didn't come by happenstance, This came because of a creator 
who is intelligent and has designed with great forethought, and there's a purpose behind it. That purpose, by the way, is not for your happiness alone, but for his own glory, okay? So as he's done all this, it makes you go, there's a creator out there. And do you know that even the tribes in the farthest parts of the earth are having angels visit them and say, just so you know, you've sinned against the God that created all this, and I'm sending missionaries to you that are going to tell you how to be forgiven of your sin and how to know the one that created all this. This is happening out there, even among our organizations that we're involved with. That was a little side note. Back to the regular note. Okay. When we go out and we see all this and we know, okay, someone created this. And then the conviction of the Holy Spirit says, yeah, and you've sinned against him. And then we can either say, Lord, save me a sinner. Or we can say, "Uh -uh. Uh -uh. I'm going to do it my way. Okay. So we suppress it. Okay. Even though we understand these things. And it says at the end of verse 20, that we are without excuse because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. Put your little M there. What did man do? We didn't say glorify your name. When I consider the moon, the stars and heaven that you have ordained, what is man that you're mindful of me? Son of man that you visit me. Oh, blessed be your name. We don't do that in our natural sinful state. We suppress the truth, okay? We do not glorify him as God. We're not thankful, but we become futile in our thoughts and our foolish hearts are darkened. We begin to get very wicked, okay? We profess to be wise. I know it all. And in all of that, we become fools and we change the glory of the incorruptible God into... Uh, an image made like corruptible man. And then it says like what? Like birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. By the way, think of like our cars that we have fetishes and idolatry with. It's like, oh, blessed be the name of the nope, forget you. How about that Thunderbird? You know? How about that Mustang? Four-footed animals. Oh, how about that Dodge Viper? Creeping things. You know, it just kind of shows like we'll worship anything but him. Okay. That's what's kind of happening here. It just shows, like Martin Luther said, that the, the heart is an idol factory. Okay? Whatever it is, it's not going to be you. And we suppress it, and we think of all the reasons to justify that. And we be, profess to be wise, but in it we're just foolish. The more, fool, the more we try to justify it, the more foolish we look and we are before the Lord. And it says uh, our foolish hearts are darkened even. And, uh, and then verse 24 so then what does God do, okay? We're not talking about neutral people that are just like, I just don't know. I'm not, I have no idea. He says, no, you know, and you're rebelling against it. That's man's work. Good on you, okay? So what does God do? Verse 24, the word therefore, it's a connecting word. It means because of all that, that y'all have done, and I'm in there with you, God gave them up to uncleanness. He gave them up. That's what you want. That's what you'll have. In the lusts of their heart, to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Verse 25, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie. So put a little M there and me, it's blue here. Let's work a trade. I'm going to trade the truth of God for a lie. Okay, that's what we do. 
This is our culture today. This is what I have done. Guys, I'm no better than any one of you. This is part of the fallen condition of men and women. Every one of you, every one of us. At one point or another, we were here to some degree. And we exchange what we know what's true about God. And we say, I'm going to believe this instead because it fits how I want it better. And I don't have to turn from this stuff. I can still have it my way. And so... We exchange the truth of, a God, uh, of God for a lie, and we worship and serve the creature rather than the creator, okay? By the way, he's blessed forever, amen. That's what Paul says. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. So you put a G there, because that's God's doing that, sovereignly giving them over giving them what they want. Man did all this. Here's what God's doing. God gave them over uh, to vile passions. Now there's a list of things that the God of the universe calls a vile passion. Okay. Even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of the error which was due. Okay, um, there's a sermon in there, okay, about homosexuality, okay? It's not the only sin in the world, by the way. We're going to go into a whole bunch of other ones. But just something that we see is it's a vile passion. It's against nature. These are things that we have said. The truth of how God has created male and female in the relationships we're supposed to have with one another, take that. I want what I want, how I want it, when I want it. Okay? That's just what's going on in that issue. Lots of other issues that probably some of us struggle more with as we move on. Verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, put an M, here's what we've done. I don't like to retain God in my knowledge then put a G right here. God gave them over to a debased mind. Okay. So God gave people over to vile passions. God gave people over to a debased mind to do those things, which are, and this is a phrase for any sin, whether homosexuality or anything that's out of God's design and call and purpose, not fitting. Okay. Not fitting. Verse 29, being filled with all unrighteousness. And by the way, for those of you that are just hammer on homosexuality and forget that there's other sins in the Bible, here's a list for you. Probably every one of us have our mouths stopped because we see we're convicted and we need to repent. Just unrighteousness, first of all, which speaks of not right, okay? And there are things that we do as Christians that the Lord would just put his finger on and just say, hey, you know what? That's not right. We look at our kids and they do, I mean, they're not like murdering people and they're not slapping people across the face, but you look at your son and you say, son, can I flip it around? Actually, the way it was yesterday with me and my son is I had to call my son back out to be with me and I had to sit him in front of my wife and myself because my wife witnessed it, my sin. And I just had to say, son, what I did was not right. What I did was not right. And I was not a representation of our good father. And I need to ask for forgiveness. I'm sorry. 
My son's so forgiving. So not just our kids that we point out. That wasn't right. It's like, that wasn't right. Okay. Anybody else? Nobody? I'm the only one. <sighs> Someone turn the air conditioning on in here because it is getting warm. Just open that window. It's all we got. Okay. Okay. So unrighteousness, probably all fit under that category. Sexual immorality, just a junk drawer term that anything that is sex outside of God's design within marriage, just put that in there and shut it because it just covers everything that we're like, well, I can do it this way. (laughs) It's called sexual immorality. Okay. And you point at the homosexuals, but you got this over here. Same thing. Okay. Wickedness covetousness. Paul said, man, I wouldn't have known covetousness unless the word would have said you shall not covet because covetousness happens in here. Everything else, people would be like, bro, that is wrong. But no one says, bro, it's wrong when it's happening in here. But the word of God says it. You're coveting. Okay. Maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil mindedness, whisperers. Oh, you wouldn't believe it. Okay. Uh, backbiters, her, haters of God, violent, proud boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning. That's listed. Have you no discernment? Right? Untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such thing are deserving of death. Not only do the same, but also approve of those that are practicing. Well, I don't. You approve of it. Same thing. All of this is just God giving us over to what we always wanted, which was vile passions, a debased mind. And it started with us saying, I'll exchange the truth of God for a lie. Thank you very much. I'll worship the creature her and her body, me and my body, my lusts, my passions, my wants, my pride, my career. It's all about me. Thank you very much. And the same thing was happening with the Jews in Jesus's day. Here, the son of God has manifested himself. He's lived for 33 years. He's done nothing but serve. And they're plotting to kill him. Partly because they just heaped upon themselves and suppressed the truth and unrighteousness. And partly because God said, you know what? I knew you were going to do that. And you know what? I've got a purpose behind you doing that. And so that the whole entire world can get saved. This is, guys, this is going beyond probably what a lot of us even consider or think about sometimes. What are we at right now? Woo! We got like 15, 20 more minutes. You guys with me still? Woo! Woo! It's, it's over. It's, we've done too much today, I think. Okay. Okay. It was Alistair Begg that said, if his word does not quicken the heart, then it will deaden the heart. Okay. And so today, as you're hearing this, first of all, if you're like, yeesh, there's a whole lot about me in there. Thank the Lord that you're feeling that. Thank the Lord that there's some conviction there. Thank God that you're not hard yet. And just say, Lord, keep, keep, Keep ripping those layers off. Keep pulling the callus off. Get down to the raw. 
heart right here, Lord. Please do that. As the word, we're reading the Bible over you. We just read Romans chapter one, the latter half, you guys. And if it's not quickening your heart, then you guys, it's, you're going to just, you're getting numb. You're getting numb. Scary, dangerous place to be. D.A. Carson said, well, I'm going to start with on the other hand. <laughs> Probably should have told you on the one hand first, but we're going to go with on the other hand. I think you know where we're going. Okay. On the other hand, such unambiguous predestinarianism is never set over against human responsibility. And if you don't know what that, what that giant word predestinarianism okay what it's saying is kind of fatalism like oh god predestined that i was gonna do this and so i'm just gonna do it and there's nothing i could do about it okay or you know that can go even so far as like well god is sovereign and knows everything that he actually chose people to be vessels of wrath that they would go to hell and he takes pleasure in that okay that's like the far pendulum swing that direction, I believe it's unbiblical. Um, and many people that are even like pendulum swinging this way would say, that's too far. Okay, so just so you know, long study, listen to our Roman studies from back in the day. Just to say though, biblical truths are, yes, God's sovereign, God does predestine things. At the same time, you also have human responsibility. Okay, Uh that ultra predestinarianism would presume that there is uh, no human culpability and articulates an utterly repre- uh, reprehensible human motive for unbelief. Philosophically, like every major author in the canon, John is a compatibilist, saying that John is teaching us from chapter 12 yes, God is over it. Isaiah prophesied of it that this would happen but also they would not believe that's on them. And then they could not believe God did that work. Okay. All right. Whew. Ha. Whew. Is that 20 minutes up yet? Verse 40. We're quoting from Isaiah here, people. He, ha- he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts and turned so that I should heal them. Okay. There is a divine moral order that demands that those who persistently and willingly harden themselves against the call of God shall be hardened. Okay. Uh, the literal translation of hardened is make fat, okay, or have callous, all right? Uh, He has blinded their eyes, so speaks of a hardening. He has hardened their heart, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts. It's kind of a, as I'm reading it, um, I kind of go like, God forbid people would believe in Jesus who loved him and gave himself for them. God forbid that, you know? Uh, I kind of think of when I'm, you know, right now we have a little four-year-old Tatum and that girl knows how to trash her room. I don't know what to do. Whew, pay my little girl Lainey like five to 20 bucks to clean up this thing. We'll get it all nice. Now she'll see, see, this is what it's supposed to look like. And then the next day it's just, okay. 
And you're just like, God forbid you keep your room clean. Right? So now, she would not clean it. Would not clean it. Now, it's just staying that way because she cannot clean Okay, I don't know. I'm trying to make connections here, but... Lest she keep her room clean, you know. I love you, Tatum. I'm just kidding. I got my own problems. All right. Maybe you've got a translation that says, otherwise they would understand with their hearts. Otherwise they would see with their eyes. Or the ESV, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart so that they would not see with their eyes. So do you see that? They've rejected and they've resisted. And so now they're getting what they want so that they won't. Okay. Tough stuff. But let's look at it. Let's look at Isaiah 6, 9 through 10. Okay. Um, And this is the passage that's quoted by John. And he said, go and tell this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. Carson said, the inability of the people to believe is tied to scripture's prediction, but the prediction is of a judicial hardening. God himself has blinded their eyes and deadened their ears. God commands Isaiah to undertake this ministry in the full knowledge that the results will be negative. By the way, that's just a fun calling on your life. Move to Prineville and preach to people that are going to hate everything that you have to say. Can I stay in the valley? You know, I don't know. Uh, you know, but he was obedient, and that's the response that Isaiah had. Uh, goes on to say, Carson, indeed, such preaching to these people evokes a negative response. In some sense, it's the cause of the negative response. In that sense, God himself, through the prophet, hardens the heart of the people. All right, we're going to do some machine gun verses at you. Okay, you guys ready? Matthew chapter 13, verses 11 through 17. We're actually not going to read this one. I'm just going to tell you, Jesus spoke in parables... And the reason he spoke in parables was so that there would be people that could discern the parable and would believe the things that Jesus would say. And then there were people that just, you know, I don't know what he's saying. He's just crazy. And it was all part of this Isaiah passage. Jesus quotes it in Matthew 13, 11 through 17. Lest if they just heard it super duper plain and simple, their hearts would be hard anyways. And so here it's just going to be, you're going to preach it through these parables and these stories that are going to convey the spiritual truth. Uh, In Acts chapter 28, verses 23 through 28, it's at the end of the book of Acts. Paul is a prisoner of Rome. He's under house arrest, and he gets an opportunity to have people come to the house that he's arrested in and to preach the gospel to them. So when they'd appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening, And some were persuaded by the things that were spoken. Praise God. That is awesome. Man, that is such an encouraging thing. You preach the gospel. You preach from the law. You preach from the prophets. You talk about Jesus is the Christ, the Savior of the world. Some people believe. And then there's some people who disbelieve. Okay? They disbelieved. That's like not even just not believing. That's like dissing. Okay. Dissing while you're believing. 
goes on to say, so when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word. The Holy Spirit spoke right through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers saying, go to this people and say, hearing you will hear and shall not understand. And seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes have closed. They have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. Therefore, and this is part of the purpose behind the rejection of the Jews, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. Small little applause over here for all of us Gentiles in the room, because that shows a little bit of the purpose of God behind Israel's rejection of Jesus. So all of us over here can just be like, I I mean, I'm sorry, man, but I'm really glad also at the same time. Okay. How you guys doing? You guys doing okay? I still got 10. I still got 10. Come on, 10 minutes. Give me 10 minutes. Okay. Romans 11, 7. Not 7, 11. 11, 7. Okay. What then? I know, right? Okay. Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded, just as it is written. God has given them a spirit of stupor. Eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see and bow down their back always. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? He's talking about Israel. He's talking about the Jews. And he says, even though they rejected Jesus in their present state to this day, right now, of all that we know that's going on in the news, they're still in a place presently of rejecting Jesus as the savior of the world and the Lord of their lives. But have they stumbled that they should fall and are without hope and God's done with Israel? Certainly not. But through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvations come to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. All right. So this is awesome stuff through their disobedience and rebellion. We get saved, and here we are on the Lord's Day celebrating the resurrected Jesus. We've got a new life, a new heart, the power of the Holy Spirit. We're living the kingdom of God presently and waiting for it to come in the future. And they see that, and they're like, we are missing something. And they start getting jealous. And even to this day, there are Jews for Jesus who've been provoked to jealous by the bunch of pagans like us getting saved over here in the new world, right? Okay. Woo! Verse 12, now if their fall is riches for the world because they rejected Jesus and didn't believe and had a hard heart, here we are rejoicing in the riches of salvation. How much more their fullness? One day all Israel will be saved, Romans chapter 11 says. How much more will the fullness be a blessing for the whole world? Four things of the purpose behind this. Number one, God's sovereignty in these matters is never pitted against human responsibility. You've got to know it. They are bedfellows, okay? God's sovereignty, human responsibility. They're not at war with one another, but they're teammates. Number two, God's judicial hardening of hearts is not presented as the capricious manipulation of an arbitrary potentate cursing morally neutral or even morally pure beings But it's a holy condemnation of a guilty people who are condemned to do and be what they themselves have chosen. That was a lot. D.A. Carson, thank you so much, Pillar New Testament commentary. Did you catch that? We've talked about that. So it's not just morally neutral people that God's like, 
dang ye, you know? No, he's like, you guys have been suppressing this and I have to judicially harden you because you've been in rebellion against me. You have chosen this for yourself. Number three, God's sovereignty in these matters can also be seen as a cause for hope. For if he is not sovereign in these areas, there's little point in petitioning for help while he is sovereign. There's little hope for petitioning him for help while if he is sovereign, the anguished pleas of the prophet and of believers throughout the history of the church make sense, okay? He's sovereign all of, over all of this, and we can bring anything before him in prayer. Number four and final, God's sovereign hardening of the people in Isaiah's day, his commissioning of Isaiah to an apparently fruitless ministry is a stage in God's strange work that brings God's ultimate redemptive purposes to pass for the whole world, including us in Oregon. Okay. Worship team, come on up. But technically I have six more minutes. Okay. Let's very quickly see this in the life of Pharaoh. Okay. (laughs) Quickly. You guys trust me, right? Okay. Check this out. Pharaoh, remember him? The Exodus account, Exodus 421. Moses, go back there. When you go back to Egypt, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I put in your hand. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will not let the people go. Well, that seems rude. You want us to go. You want us to preach and do these signs. But you're going to harden his heart so that they won't let him go. Why? Because God is sovereign and he's got some big stuff going on. Okay. Exodus 7, 3. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Why would you harden Pharaoh's heart, God? Because I'm also going to multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt. So hardening Pharaoh's heart creates more opportunity for the glory of God. Exodus chapter 8, verse 15. There's a paradox here. That was all God's doing. Um, Here we have Pharaoh, middle of the verse. Pharaoh, he hardened his heart. You see this? Pharaoh won't let the people go, and Pharaoh does a little bit of that. Okay? Uh, Look at Exodus 8, 32. But Pharaoh hardened his heart. Okay? Exodus 9, chapter 12. Ooh, here's God's part. Then the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. Okay? Ah. And then Exodus 9, 34. He sinned yet more and he hardened his heart. You guys seeing this? It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. There's like the double stuff going on. It's called a paradox. Okay? Um, Exodus 10, 1. I have hardened his heart. Middle of the verse. Exodus 14, 4. I will harden Pharaoh's heart so he will pursue them into the Red Sea. You know the story. Exodus 10, 20. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Exodus 10, 27. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Exodus 11, chapter 10. The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Exodus, are you guys having fun up there in the sound booth? <laughs> Exodus 14, 8. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Exodus 14, 17. And indeed, I will harden the heart of the whole army of the Egyptians. Woo. Romans eleven thirty. We're done with Pharaoh. For as you were once disobedient to God, yet have now obtained mercy through their disobedience, even so these also have now been disobedient, that through the mercy shown you, they may obtain mercy. Do you see just the crazy work of sovereign God happening here? Their disobedience, that mercy coming to me. Now that I'm saving and following Jesus, they're jealous. You know, they're going to come to mercy. And now that they've come to mercy, now the whole world has even more mercy. Okay. 
Like, God is doing some stuff. In fact, I mean, I was joking, like, with the singing like an angel thing. But guess what Paul says at the end of this? Look at verse 32. For God has committed them all to disobedience, that he have mercy, that he might have mercy on all. And then this is the end of this three chapters of, like, God's sovereignty, man's responsibility, choosing and electing and predestining, and also people hardening their heart. How does it all work? And at the end of that section, Romans 9, 10, and 11, at the end of chapter 11, Paul just goes, Woo! Oh, the depths and riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him that he should pay him back? For of him and um, what is it? For of him and through him and to him are all things, and to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Woo! That's what That's what Paul does. Paul's like, that's a lot. And you guys are like, that's a lot. And I'm like, that's a lot. But it's God. He's a lot. And if you're here today, he's preaching to you. Get rid of that junk in your life and that stupid sin. And you have been hearing that you will pay for it. You will go to hell for it. You are destined for hell. If you reject Jesus and you say, I'll do it my way, like Frank Sinatra, thank you very much. I did it my way. I'm doing it my way. I'm going to do it my way. Oh my gosh, come on. Like have some humility, get rid of the ego and just bow your knee before the Lord Jesus Christ and receive what he's done for you. He only loves you. He only has good things for you. And he's thought of you since before the world was even created. He knew your name and he's calling to you right now. And if you have any inkling of any conviction of your heart, any tiny pinprick that for the love of God, bow before the love of God. What is your problem? Don't be hard. Don't go to hell. It is eternal. This is the one chance that you have. So what do you do? You become like a little child, Jesus says. You just become like a little child. I was preaching at a funeral last week down in Redding, California. I was just preaching to people. And as I'm preaching, and there's a casket right here, my son Titus is sitting over here on Russell's lap. And he's got his sunglasses, and he's got them on upside down. You know? And just before we got there, I don't know what we packed in his suitcase, but he's wearing some funky clothes, and he's got two different sizes of socks on, and one's like really high, and one's really low, and I'm like, preaching to people, I'm like, guys, Jesus says we got to come like little children to him. I was like, look at Russell over there. He's like, I don't know, this is how it works, but I, you know, I don't know, you know. It's like, gosh, we got to like lose the ego and just come with snot dripping down our face and tears in our eyes and broken hearts saying, I'm a jerk. But Jesus is nothing but loving. And I just bow my knees and my heart before him. And I say, not unto me, but unto your name be the glory. Thank you for loving me and thank you for calling me. And you know what? If you're here today, I believe that Jesus is calling you to be a follower of his. He wants you. Just come to him like a kid and just be like, here I am. Let's start living this. Let's start living this for Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, this is tough stuff. This is deep stuff. This is, I don't know, probably 90% of the congregation checked out 90 minutes ago. But Lord, in all of it, we see that we are not morally neutral people. We've sought after pleasure and our prerogatives and our pride for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. 
And the wrath of God is upon those who have suppressed the truth in unrighteousness, who have exchanged the truth for a lie, who've worshipped and served the creature rather than you, the creator, who's eternally blessed forever. We've done that. Rory Rogers has done that. And I invite you today to insert your name into that right now. And just whisper to the Lord, I have done that. And we beg of you, God, as a congregation, do not turn us over to vile passions. Do not turn us over to a debased mind. Do not give us over to our iniquity, Lord. We have things that we've been dabbling in and tempted by, things that we've been giving into, places that we've been going that we know is wrong. And we beg you, God, don't give up on us. We cry out to you, forgive us of our sins, soften our heart, change our trajectory. Let us be those that live in righteousness. We thank you, God, for your big purposes in it all. We love Israel, Lord. We know they're going through it right now. And we pray that you would use the warfare right now to turn people to you. That they'd see your sovereign hand. That we would be a good neighbor, a good brother, a good ally of Christians. And we would be an example of the love of Jesus. And those that have been transformed in our hearts. And that Israel would be jealous. They would want what we have, which is Jesus. And if that's you today, and you know that you need to come to Jesus like a little child, I just invite you to stand right now where you're at. Just stand. And just like a little child, receive Jesus today. Just stand and be counted and be numbered with Christians just stand and say here I am Lord a sinner in need of forgiveness in need of saving I'm addicted I'm in bondage I don't know what to do or where to go I got my own thoughts and ideas and I know that they can't be right and I just pray, take my heart, change me, take my mind, and change my mind, do a work in me. I want to be a Christian today. If that's you, I invite you to stand right where you're at. People will see me. People will realize that maybe I haven't been the Christian that I've said I've been. People will wonder about me. So what? Better than going to hell. Be like a little child today. And raise your hand and stand and say, right here, right here, oh Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. During this song, let's just stay seated if that's not you. And let's just give a moment as we just worship the Lord. And maybe you would just pray if you're a Christian here today. Pray for those today that 
they need to decide to follow Jesus today. As Hebrews says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. Today, while it's still called today, do not harden your heart. Here it is. It's called today. Come to Jesus. If you're a Christian today, pray for those in this room. They need to make that decision to follow Jesus. They need to believe in him while they can believe in him. That's a call to you today. Believe in him while you can believe in him. During this song, just give you opportunity. You're not saved by standing. But standing is a great way to confess the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that he has saved you from your sins. Stand during this song if that's you. First verse or two will give you opportunity for that.
that didn't confess it because they were afraid of what people thought. They loved what people thought more than they loved what God thought. I know Nyla is a believer just to see her stand and just like, I just want everyone to know. I believe. And so anybody else, you're just like, man, I just, I just want people to know I believe. Maybe today, you're standing with everyone now, but maybe just today, it's just during this song. Maybe it's, I'll lift my hands. I just, I just want everyone to know I believe. That's me. I want to be numbered. I want to live for Jesus. As we sing, I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin, mine, my suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, my exchange of the, the truth for a lie hung on Jesus at the cross. So here I am to bow down. Here I am to worship and to say that you're my God. Go ahead, Johnny. together as a family and we walk together in the light we have fellowship with one another because of the blood of jesus which cleanses us from all sin and this summer is a great way to do that we're going to be out in the park we're going to be getting to know one another we're going to be worshiping and growing in truth together we're going to be playing ultimate frisbee together okay anyways um and uh there's lots of ways to serve and to grow and to get plugged in and if today was the day that you just said and forget this world you can have this world I want to follow Jesus. Come talk to me because I want to help you know what it is to be a Christian and to follow after Jesus. So, well, it's 104 degrees in here. And so I think it's cooler outside. So go pick up your kids and make your way out to the refreshing air. God bless you guys.